It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Week 9 of This Week in the Big East for 2019. This is our weekly look at the teams, the coaches, the players, and all of the stories from the schools comprising the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. We have just five games remaining in the regular season that begin before we even turn the calendar toward 2019. To this point, what do we know? Well, we know that home teams did not dominate on the home court as they may have in the past. We know that many games, 42% of the 85 games in conference play to this point were close calls, decided by six points or less or overtime. We know that there are a couple of very good teams at the top, no real bad ones at the bottom, and we know that anyone is capable of beating anyone else this season. It has made for some fun, tense, agonizing hand-wringing, teeth-chattering moments, and with just five games remaining, no seed has yet been clinched for next week's postseason tournament. It has been extraordinary, to say the least, Kevin. It really has, John. The balance in this league, well, it's hurt the majority of the league. I think we know that Villanova and Marquette are in really good shape, will be in the NCAA tournament. Entering the last regular season game of the season, Everyone else is fighting for their postseason survival, and that's not where you want to be right now. Nope, you don't. You want to try to you know, make your way, and the only way you can do that is by beating people, and yet you beat one and you lose one, and you win one and then you lose two, and then you win two and then you lose one, and it's just it can get nasty at times, and it has. The, the term cannibalization has been used, I think, within the Big East from the teams beating up on each other. And, of course, as witness, going into the week here, we had five teams tied for third in the league going into this last weekend, which is extraordinary. Well, it's funny. If you watch the games and are involved in the league and and see these teams over and over, you you think they're all pretty good. From the outside, people look at the Big East and they say, well, it's a lot of mediocrity. I really don't think it is. I don't think that is the case either. And perception can be reality. It's going to be very interesting how the selection committee looks at that middle of the Big East. Well, heading into the final Saturday of the season, it appears you can make a case for as many as seven Big East teams being worthy of the NCAA tournament bubble, even if in reality it might not be the case. Let's take a minute to run down the contenders, if we can here. Give your best guess, Kev, as of this moment what an NCAA seed might be, who's in, and whose bubble might be burst. You all right with that? I'm ready. It's a long list. All right, here we go. Villanova needs a win over Seton Hall at Seton Hall to clinch yet again another Big East regular season title. Any surprise there, and where are they seated? I have them as a five right now, so in that five line. I think if they can win the conference championship and win the Big East tournament, they can move up to the four line. Marquette backpedaling a bit for the first time this season with a three-game losing streak was on the precipice of their first-ever regular season crown. They need a home win over Georgetown and the Pirates to force the Cats to walk the plank and earn a share of that title. Three straight losses at the wrong time of the year. This is not what you want to do. Marquette was definitely a top-four seed. Now they could be slipping down if, say, there are six. There is an extraordinary five-way tie for third, as we mentioned. All teams at 8-9 and nine in league play going into the weekend. Georgetown had a two-game win streak to play their way onto the bubble. Then they got plastered at DePaul on Wednesday. In or out, Kev? Georgetown is out as we speak. Uh, Going to need some work in New York for sure. And, obviously, ending at Marquette is a giant opportunity for the Hoyas. Big opportunity. That could put them right back in, at least into the mix, going into New York. 
Xavier was the hottest team in the league, having won five in a row before stumbling at Butler this week. In or out on the Musketeers? Out. I had Xavier as the team that could have that long streak right into deep into the Big East tournament. Uh, the loss at Butler is a real killer. St. John's, 20 wins, but has also lost their last two and plays at Xavier to finish up. Do they need a win to get in as an at-large? I don't think so. I think St. John's is in the tournament, uh, even if they lose the next two. Seton Hall may have helped their cause more than anyone else with an 18-0 run to end the game in their win over Marquette on Wednesday. So have the Pirates now done enough to be in? I have them in. I have them as the third Big East team, even ahead of St. John's. The selection committee, 10 different people, they can come up with any one thing that they favor the most. I favor wins against good teams. And Seton Hall now has 11 quad one and quad two wins. That stands out to me. It sure does. 11. 11. Five quad one, six quad two. Uh, that's more than St. John's, which has 10. And let's not forget Creighton. They may be the hottest brand going at the moment. Four-game win streak after an overtime win at home over Providence this week. What about the Blue Jays? I have them out right now, but they could get it done. If they can finish uh, with a win against DePaul, that would put them at 9-9. Nine and nine. I think perception-wise, a 9-9 nine and nine is a lot better than an 8-10, and 10, which I know the NCAA committee doesn't even look at conference record, believe it or not, which is a little nuts, but that's not on their team sheet. And Creighton has one thing in their favor that is just jumps off the page. They have the number 10 schedule in the country. That should carry a lot of weight. Butler and DePaul have seven wins. Even Providence with six wins and some excruciating losses isn't doomed to last place just yet. So has the league eaten itself alive this season, or does this equality, this parity, signal something greater? No, those bottom teams, you know, for Providence to be the potential number 10 last, you know, seed in the Big East tournament, the Friars have some really good wins. They went to Texas this year. Texas is supposedly in the tournament and and beat the Longhorns. Uh, they did some other damage outside the league. Uh, you know, There's no bad teams in the Big East. I guess maybe that's a great thing for the fans, but not a good thing for NCAA tournament resumes. We've got more to come this week. If you're looking for answers to the questions about your team, you can send them to us to use here on the show. Hit us up on Twitter. The hashtag is TWITBE. TWITBE this week in the Big East. And thanks, as always, to our Westwood One stations for tuning in. If you're catching us on Sirius XM, we welcome you to an up-close and personal view of the madness. Thanks for listening and downloading on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Those are our podcast partners. And do leave us a review if you can. We'd appreciate it. As league play winds down with an eye toward the postseason, on our agenda for this week is a visit with one of the coaches in that five-way foray in the middle of the Big East. We'll get the point of view from Creighton's Greg McDermott on his team's chances from here, as well as his view of this unpredictable Big East season. Think the officials have done a good job? (laughs) Think they haven't? Don't understand some of the rules or the calls on the floor? Join the club. But we'll try to get a little insight into one of the toughest jobs in all of sports, being a ref through the eyes and the knowledge of Big East Supervisor of Officials John Cal. And year two of a rebuild at his alma mater for Patrick Ewing. Seems to have progressed well overall. We'll check in with Washington Post's Ava Wallace for some insight. So leading off, if you think you've pulled out your share of follicles this season, how about the coaches? How do they keep it together when things are so unpredictable? Creighton's Greg McDermott is smack in the middle of the madness. His hair still intact, we think. And he joins us next, This Week in the Big East. Coming up, This Week in the Big East Spotlight. 
At Creighton University, our academic programs are recognized nationally for excellence and innovation. Creighton's outstanding undergraduate research opportunities, internships, and clinicals provide students with a chance to explore, create, and discover new knowledge. With business, law, healthcare, and multiple degree options in the arts and sciences, you will leave Creighton ready to begin your career. And our students form a passionate community ready to contribute something meaningful to the world while in college and after graduation. Visit Creighton.edu to learn more about the Creighton experience. Big East Spotlight. Here's a steal. Oh, oh, a steal by Alexander. He's all the way home for the jam. Tyshawn got in front of Drew Edwards, picked his pocket, goes all the way home, and a timeout by Ed Cooley. Creighton is the hottest brand going heading into the final weekend of regular season play, having won four straight games, including a huge win over Marquette and an overtime rock fight with Providence at home this week. As one of five teams tied for third place in the league standings, are they playing well enough at the right time of the season? Head coach Greg McDermott joins us this week in the Big East. Greg, it's hard to argue your guys aren't doing what they should be doing right now because they're winning. But it also appears your guys are winning out not just by shooting well, which is a trademark for you, but also by defending. So what turned this mindset around for you guys, and who's been the catalyst, do you think, in your eyes leading the way? Well, you know, after five or six games into the league season, we just we were not pleased with the progress we were making defensively, and, and we, we made a few changes uh, in the way we approached things and, and got a little bit more aggressive with some ball screens and some post-up situations trying to force some turnovers. And uh, our guys have really bought into it. And, you know, I think Martin Crample is as good as anybody in the country at defending ball screens because of his ability to, you know, to move his feet. And, and he's got active hands on the ball and has been able to poke some balls loose. But, uh, you know, our guys have bought into it. We've flown around and, and really after a tough stretch of losing, you know, four close games on the road or four games in a row, three in the road and a close one at home to Seton Hall, uh, you know, we found a way to, to win a few. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, you want to be playing your best basketball in March and we're certainly trending that way, but obviously we've got a tough one Saturday against a DePaul team that's playing great as well. Yes, a big game at home on Saturday to wrap up the regular season. Uh, Greg, I- I'm curious, how many times have you been asked, Coach, what do you need to do to get in the tournament? Yeah, a, f- a few thousand it seems like. Uh, you know, I-, I think at this point, you know, the season when you're in a situation like we are, you just try to control what you can control. And and obviously there's a lot of things that are going to happen over the country during – you know, in the in college basketball over the course of the next week. And all we can do is try to do the best we can with the opportunities that we have. And the first one is Saturday against DePaul. I think it's really important for us, you know, as it is for everybody else that's fighting to stay out of that play-in game on Wednesday night. Um, and that that's the first step in the right direction. And then, you know, then we'll go to New York and see who our first-round opponent is. But, uh, you know, we just have to continue to try to win games and, and do it the way we're doing it with solid defense and, and, and good rebounding, forcing some turnovers. And I'm hopeful that, you know, our, our guys who've been good shooters all season long that seem to be in the middle of a slump right now, hopefully they're going to come out of it soon. There will be several teams, hopefully several teams, that finish 9-9 nine and nine or 8-10 and 10 in the Big East and have NCAA quality uh, resumes. We'll see what the committee decides in 10 days. This is your chance to uh, say that, Nine and nine and eight and ten in this league this year is a representative season. Yeah, I mean, I can only speak to to our situation and that you know we went out and you know we played a top ten schedule in the country. If in fact that that's what the NCAA selection committee wants you to do is to challenge yourself uh, at home and away from home, uh, then we've certainly done that. Uh, you know, I think we 
I think we've only played one game of anyone with a net ranking over 250 on the year. And uh, as of a couple days ago, we had the fewest net or uh, quadrant three and quadrant four games of anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, you know, we've done what we were supposed to do. Obviously we've got a young team and we fought through some injury problems in the middle of, of conference season. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're finishing strong and, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully that'll be good enough in the end. But, you know, there's there's been teams across our league who have had quality wins not only inside the league but outside the league as well. And I think the the fact that, you know, we're one of the few power six leagues that is that have, uh, you know, had everybody finish above 500 right. uh, on the season, which is almost unheard of. Uh, so I just think that speaks to the, the depth of our league. There is no bottom in our league. Uh, I think uh, the difference even between our champion and the tenth place team is is pretty minuscule. So you know it's it's been a very competitive league, and we beat each other up. Uh, hopefully, we'll be rewarded for that that quality within our league at, on NCAA Selection Sunday. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott joining us this week in the Big East. I wonder if you might take for just a moment, Greg, without considering your own team's chances, and tell me amongst the teams that you have played, you have faced, you have beaten, you have lost to. Who else has impressed you with their resume? Have you ever had a chance to give that any thought in terms of another Big East team? You know, I haven't looked too deep into that. Obviously, St. John's has had some some really good wins, uh, you know, some quad one wins. But, you know, unfortunately, they've got some losses in that in that third and fourth quadrant. And, you know, Seton Hall, I think, is another team. Uh, you know, their win against Kentucky, their win at Maryland. I mean, those those are games that that are going to stick with you for the rest of the season. So, you know, there's, there's teams across the league that have, that have done really well, uh, you know, at times inside the conference and also, like, as I mentioned, some quality wins outside the conference. So uh, you hope that that is enough at the end of the day. And, and, uh, and I, think what, I think it's really the reason we're going to see some great basketball in New York City. I just think there's a, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of quality within our league, but uh, there's also – there's not a lot of difference between the teams, and that makes for some exciting games. Greg, we're going to do it a little later on our show and go into the potential all-league teams and, and awards. Uh, I would say Tyshawn Alexander has got to be one of the leaders for the most improved award. I, I believe Ed Cooley said uh, after your game on Wednesday night that that would be his pick for most improved. Uh, just speak to Tyshawn's improvement and impact on your team late in games. That's when you need big-time players, and he stepped up. Yeah, you know, he obviously made a couple of great plays last night in, in overtime, uh, hitting the big three-point shot, then coming up with the steal and turning it into two points. Uh, you know, he's he's just really made good strides across the board, not only on the offensive end. Uh, you know, his, his scoring numbers are up uh, considerably from a year ago, but, you know, his ability to take care of the basketball, make good decisions with the basketball defensively, he's made strides. Uh, so, you know, he, he's made the jump that you would hope someone would make from their freshman to sophomore year. And I think when Kyrie Thomas decided to keep his name in the NBA draft, I think Tyshawn saw saw an opportunity. And to his credit, he went to work and got in the gym and prepared himself uh, for the role that he was going to play. And and fortunately for us, he's done that and has had a terrific season. Coach, I want to take you to one more that has a chance at postseason honors, and Marcus Zagorowski for the the all-freshman team. I, I think he kind of surprised some people, at least early. I'm sure he didn't surprise you, but what does Marcus do particularly well that maybe did come to you as a little bit of a surprise? In other words, he was a little bit more savvy than maybe his age would have given him credit for. Yeah, you know, last night was probably the first game this season where he had times where maybe he played like a freshman. Uh, he just hasn't done that much this season. He, he has incredible moxie for such a young player. 
Uh, you know, he shot the ball at a, at a really high level until last night. But, you know, he, he Marcus just soaks everything up. He's a very coachable young man. Obviously, he's from a basketball family. And, uh, you know, he's everything that I thought he was going to be and, and more. I, you know, you don't expect freshmen to have this kind of an impact this early. And, you know, we, we lost three games when he was out with an injury. And that certainly had an impact on our offense. But we're, we're a much better team when he's on the floor. And I, I think across the country, it's hard to point to freshmen uh, that have that kind of, a, of an impact on their team. And he's certainly done that for us. Coach, if you don't mind, can we ask you who you may have voted for for Coach of the Year? Which seems... I haven't voted yet. Okay. okay. You know, I'm going to do that sometime later today or tomorrow morning. And uh, it, it's I don't really like to have to vote before the games are all played. Right. Uh, because I, I certainly think, you know, we got some guys that, I think maybe deserve coach of the year that could finish third, but depending on how Saturday goes, they could finish ninth. And, and you know, we don't know who our champion's going to be, uh, you know, in, until after the games are played on Saturday. So that makes it a little bit difficult, but I think, you know, obviously Wojo's done a great job. Jay Wright's done a great job. Kevin Willard's been outstanding this year uh, from where, from where their team was picked, but you know, Dave Leto's done a great job at Paul as well. So, Across the board, there's there's been great coaches in this league, and you know that's never changed. So it's a, it's a hard one to pick this year because there's a lot of guys that have done a really good job. Greg, one more quick one here, just to the nature of the unprecedented nature of five teams being tied for third, and how unsettled that makes your life on a daily basis. You know, I just it, it's it's crazy to think that we have absolutely no idea, you know, what seed anybody's going to be uh, uh, next week in New York City. So it's you know, I, you know, you turn your focus over to what you can control, and that's that's all we can do. You know, I think a lot of people left us for dead a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we played good enough basketball to, to get ourselves back in the, you know, at least in the race for the middle of this conference. Uh, and and you know, given where we started and as young as we were and the injuries that we've been through, I'm really proud of our team for being able to do that. Uh, but you know, we'll have a better idea by the time our ball tips tomorrow night. But the thing that we can do is find a way to win that game, and and that certainly puts us in a good position. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott. Blue Jays will host DePaul, as he mentioned, in the final regular season game for the entire conference Saturday night at eight Eastern time. Who's hot? Well, the Heat check. That's coming up next this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot this week in the Big East? As one of the country's leading Catholic universities, Seton Hall has been shaping students in mind, heart, and spirit since 1856. Today, the hall is home to nearly 10,000 students taught by world-class faculty. Our professors shine in the classroom, sharing their expertise with bright young minds who are hungry to learn. And as a member of the Big East, our student-athletes compete in one of the nation's top athletic conferences. Whether on the court or in the classroom, our students learn by doing. This is Seton Hall's moment. Be part of it. Who's hot? 43 points for Max Struess, and listen to the crowd as he exits the game. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara, Big East Player of the Week this past week. Max Struess from DePaul had a career-high 43, second-highest scoring total in a Big East game this year, tied for a fifth-highest total in league history as the Blue Demons bopped St. John's earlier this week, 92-83. to Big East Freshman of the Week, Josh LeBlanc from Georgetown. We've mentioned him several times this year. He averaged a double-double in the past week with 11 points and 12 rebounds. Kevin, what I wanted to do here, though, is also give fans a bit of a sneak preview 
as to who we think could be potential winners of the player of the year, coach of the year, sixth man of the year. That's all right with you. Sure thing. That works. Right. Coach of the year right off the bat. Coaches in the Big East vote. Coaches do all the voting on these awards. And let's frequently make, would have their votes in before Saturday, before which is Saturday. tough for the tabulators because right. they don't want to get everything on Saturday night. But, boy, this is the year that is right. so much in flux in that last day. And if Georgetown can beat Marquette, I like Patrick Ewing. You know, not much was expected of the Hoyas. Such a young team, and they've been just as competitive as everybody else. And let me also throw into the mix, just in case DePaul wins, Dave oh, Lato. To get to eight wins, that's a huge that would, jump that would forward. Be their most wins in 12, 13 seasons. Player of the year in this league. Do we agree on Marcus Howard here? Well, let's just end this and say Marcus Howard. Okay, fair enough. Defensive player of the year. I've got two candidates that I want you to consider. Number one is Theo John from Marquette. Leads the league in block shots and clearly has made Marquette a tougher team to deal with in the interior. The other one I think we need to consider is Paul Reed at DePaul. He ranks in the top five in two categories, in rebounding and in block shots within the Big East. Johnny, if you talk to NBA scouts, Paul Reed's one of the five guys in the league who they are most excited about. He's only a sophomore. He uh, is. Just a great future. That said, the one thing that Marquette is missing in the last couple of years was an interior presence, some defense, and that's where Theo John steps up. So th that's a close one. Freshman of the year. Yeah, I think James Akinjo has been the most impactful Georgetown freshman, and they have three very good ones. And Joey Hauser has given Marquette that third score. I think Akinjo's going to get it, but uh, I'm sure that voting would be tight as well. Sixth man of the year. Guy who comes off of the bench. There's one guy that stands out above all the rest for me. Not a primary starter, even though I believe he has started some games. That's Paul Jorgensen at Butler. Jorgensen's come off the bench a lot and eclipsed 20 points quite a few games really an impactful score finally last but not least most improved player yeah paul reed is if he's not the leading contender i'd say tyshawn alexander and paul you know that's a really tough vote i think also nate watson he's took a very big jump for providence as well We'll see how the coaches vote on it. Awards will be announced uh, next week at the Garden. For the 37th consecutive year, as you know, the Big East Men's Basketball Tournament, presented by Jeep, will be next week, March 13th through 16th, world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. Don't miss your chance to be there. 97% of all available tickets were sold last year at the most attended postseason conference tournament in the country. Single session tickets on sale. Go to Ticketmaster.com slash Big East to buy yours. All right. Does anyone now have any love for the refs? Anyone? Bueller? It's virtually impossible to achieve perfection. And the person in charge of Big East officials will give us his views on some of the changes and how his charges have handled it all. Supervisor of officials John Cal joins us next, this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. Xavier University. It's a place where learning extends beyond the classroom, where students learn more by doing more and discover new truths about their world and themselves, where passion meets purpose, where students blend mission and meaning and live lives that truly matter. That's the Xavier way. Learn more about what a Xavier education can do for you at xavier.edu. Big East Focus. Joey Hauser stops, bounce pass outside, and another takeaway! Pulled away by Tyshawn. Tyshawn down the floor, stops, mid-range, jumper is good! Tyshawn Alexander gives the Jays the lead! Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. So let's get one thing straight right here, right now. When you have a league that has been as balanced from top to bottom as the Big East has been this season, there will be calls made, several calls made, that can be debated over right or wrong, good or bad. 
But the key here, especially at this time of year, has to be with consistency in officiating. And everyone wants to feel like they've had a fair shot. Big East official uh, supervisor John Cal spent 40 years blowing his whistle on the floor, feeling the wrath from fans from all sides. But he's also called Final Fours and national title games himself. He joins us this week in the Big East. John, it's a tough gig. We know that. But... That's what your guys kind of signed up for. So how do you grade these guys? What do you grade these guys on? Their consistency, the lack thereof? How do you determine their actual performance on any given night? Well, John and Kevin, I, uh, I'm i the sole one that grades these guys. And um, I either see in person or via tape every single one of our conference games for sure and a good portion of our non-conference games. And I grade every play. Uh, every whistle or non-whistle, and make a determination based on what the NCA has set forth as our standards, whether they're correct or not. And then after each game, I communicate to our officials um, the ones that I think are key misses in the game. You know, when I have to uh, run a play back five or six times and slow it down and go frame by frame, I have to give them the benefit of the doubt. But um, what I normally would do is during the course of a game is circle certain plays, and I'll go back and uh, review those plays on tape and make my decision as to how they handle a particular situation. So that's that's actually really interesting because I'm not sure the average fan understands that. We, we understand that somebody who's in your position as a supervisor of these officials uh, probably has to grade somebody how they do their job, just like, hey, their foreman you know, uh, at the plant would have to grade their job, or the manager at the Burger King has to grade their job, or whatever it would be, somebody has to be held accountable. You are the one that holds these guys accountable. Yeah, that's correct, John. And when I this is um, finishing up my sixth year in this position, and when I took the job, I had made a decision that if a coach ever called me and wanted to talk about a play, I wanted to make sure that I had seen that play and was able to communicate him with him intelligently. So that kind of goes hand in hand with my ability to grade the officials based on their performance. So let's take this a step further, John. Say uh, it's an official who is, has a long track record, you know, not a not a rookie to you guys. As everyone knows, the Big East has some of the most seasoned and experienced uh, referees, officials in the country. And in a particular day, you know, John referee uh, clearly misses a couple calls. Uh, is it a conversation? You come to an agreement with John that, yes, I missed those calls, or... I mean, obviously, there's no penalty throughout the course of a season. So how do you deal with, you know, a missed call? Well, basically what I'll do is I will communicate that call with the official, either via text or email or via phone call, ask him to uh, review the call. Each of our officials, when they leave the arena, has a replay of the game downloaded on their uh, apparatus, whether it be um, most most likely it's an iPad. Mm-hmm. and they have the ability to go back and look at each play. So if I've seen a, a game that has a particular high number of what I feel are misses, I will text or email the entire crew and say, we've got too many misses in these games. These are the plays that I think you missed. Please take a review and give me your comment, and they all get back to me. John, can you also tell people how you go about uh, selecting and securing the officials who come to Madison Square Garden next week for the Big East Tournament because, uh, again, you, you have some of the access to some of the very best guys in the country and many of the same official, uh, leagues that we share officials with throughout the season. They want them for their conference tournament as well. Yeah, by contract, officials are um, obligated 
the biggie staff, the primary officials, the people who have committed uh, their first priority to the Big East are obligated to take all of the assignments that I offer them during the season. And um, if I offer them an invitation to our Big East tournament, they are obligated by contract to accept that. So I have a pretty good idea going into the season. I've probably got a list of about 20 or 22 officials that I'm looking at as potential candidates to bring to Madison Square Garden. I'll actually bring um, 15 officials, um, 12 of whom will work two games and three of whom will work one game. And as the officials get completed with their assignments in my uh, tournament at the Big East Tournament, they're free to accept an assignment in another conference or tournament. So this year, for instance, a lot of guys who work in the Big East early on, you'll probably see in, in Brooklyn in the Atlantic 10 tournament later in the week because it's obviously easy travel. Absolutely. John Cal, Big East Supervisor of Officials, joining us this week in the Big East. So, you know, after hanging it up when you took over this role, uh, when the Big East reconfigured itself in 2013, have you ever missed it? Yeah, there's been occasions, guys, when I, I have missed it. Um, most notably, if I'm at a game in Madison Square Garden and the place is rocking for the Big East tournament, or if I'm in a, one of our arenas where there's real high intensity in the air, I do miss it. I, uh, I quickly get my sanity back and say, <laughs> you had your run, and it was a good time, and you survived it, and you're healthy, and you can move on with your life. Uh, John, uh, I'm curious, with the league as balanced as it's been this year, and I know that you're, you're, you're a basketball fan as well as an official and a supervisor of official, it's, it's pretty easy to see how balanced this league is with five teams at eight and nine uh, entering the last, game, last uh, day of the season. Uh, do officials appreciate that too? When they take the court, they realize, boy, this is a huge game for Team A and Team B. Yeah, they they do, Kevin. Um, you know, our officials are pretty attuned in what's going on in the Big East Conference. You know, as you mentioned, this is probably as balanced a league as we've had since we went through the reconfiguration, and that in itself puts additional pressure on the officials. Um, you know, for each call, the significance of it is magnified. Um, an error late in the game certainly becomes more important than it might have in years past when there wasn't so much balance and there were some teams that could more or less survive an officiating error. But it's certainly put more pressure on our staff this year. Well, you've got all this pressure on you to make sure that your guys are doing the best job they can. The guys have pressure on them to make sure they're doing the best job they can. So how do you de-stress from this pressure? Is there a way to do it during the season, or is this just come with the territory? No, you know, it, it comes with the territory. I, I take this job really seriously. Um, I take missed calls um, probably more personally than uh, other people may, but I've been involved with the Big East Conference for so long that it's really an integral part of my life. I, I feel that it's given me a, a pretty good opportunity to do something that I enjoy, and even after my years on the floor. So, you know, it is stressful during the season. Um, I am very happy to not have any games tonight and not have any games tomorrow night and around 8 o'clock on uh, Saturday night. You'll be real happy. back and have a nice cold beer. <laughs> I was just going to say. So a- after all is said and done here and, and you- you've got this, this mix together, uh, you- you've got your cruise planned, um, do you ever sit back and say, job well done, or are you automatically on to the next big thing and in helping maybe some of these Big East officials even sort of matriculate through the NCAA tournament? 
Yeah, I, I, I'd say that it's the latter, John. Um, I don't think this is a job where you can ever rest on your laurels. The um, performance of our staff is expected, and I feel certain pressure to make sure that we perform. I, I am certainly disappointed and discouraged when we do have an error that affects the outcome of a game or affects the team. Um, you know, I want to be as fair as we possibly can and perform to the best of our ability for our student-athletes. So, you know, this is a full-time job. My predecessor, Art Hyland, uh, kind of kept that hidden from me, that this is 365, <laughs> you know, 10 hours a day for 365 days. That's Big East Supervisor of Officials, John Cal. Another team in the postseason mix this year might be a mild surprise, if only because the head coach is in his second year ever as the team's leader. The Washington Post's Ava Wallace has followed Patrick Ewing's moves from the bench and grades the head Hoya on his progress next, this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. Every day, the NCAA is working across campuses to keep college athletes safe by committing research and resources to their physical and mental health. Physical and mental health includes, but is not limited to, education, research initiatives, and new policies on concussion, promoting best practices around cardiac health, sexual violence prevention and education, mental health resources and training, alcohol and other drug abuse prevention, guidance on nutrition, sleep, and performance, creating safety guidelines for all NCAA sports, support of the American Development Model to prevent overuse injuries. Whew. And that's just what we could fit within 30 seconds. Visit NCAA.org wellbeing to learn more. The National Perspective. Player driving throws through far side. Back up top, it's Pickett. Three-pointer is good. DeMarco Pickett nails the three. We got a three-point ball game. And the crowd is coming to life here in D.C. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. Georgetown finds itself in the postseason mix thanks to a proven threat in big man Jesse Govan and three dynamite freshman players that may have surprised a few people with their fearlessness on the floor. And the most imposing Hoya of them all is probably the one standing on the sidelines, much in the same fashion as his own coach, John Thompson, once dominated from the bench years ago. Ava Wallace covers the Hoyas in college basketball for the Washington Post. After spending some time at USA Today, she joins us this week in the Big East. Ava, I'm wondering if you could give Patrick Ewing a grade for his performance in his second year as a head coach. And does his team get the same grade at this point? Mm, That's a really good question. A grade? Letter grades are hard. I would give Patrick a B plus. I don't know if that's too harsh. The thing I always say with, with Patrick is what most impresses me, and I, I, it's, it's funny because, of course, you think Patrick Ewing, like, yeah, who wouldn't want to come play with him? Right. Uh, I didn't know if, if teenagers, if high schoolers, kids coming out of, out of school would, would really have that kind of reverence for Patrick Ewing, but Patrick has shown to be such a good recruiter and not just getting – you know, finding guys like Mac McClung, who, you know, from a little pocket town in, in southwest Virginia, Gate City, but getting James Akinjo after he uh, switched his commitment, finding guys like Josh LeBlanc from Louisiana to come and play for him. So from the recruiting standpoint, from the getting the guys he needs to be able to play the way he wants his team to play, that's always an A+. plus. You know, he, he, he did learn a little bit more about, about coaching and managing a team, time management. He had he had troubles with timeouts and, and stuff like that earlier this year. But in terms of getting his team what he wants to do, um, that's pretty good. So I'd say, you know, after a thirty point loss at DePaul, that <laughs> might be that might be shading my grading right now. But I'd give him a solid B plus A minus. 
Well, you know, it's it's not game by game, Aver. It's the right. entire breadth of Big the season. Is that picture. what the NCA says? It's it's the entire season. It's not every game. That uh, that particular game was was pretty tough. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I, I'm curious what your outlook on the team, how it has changed from November to now, with the really outstanding performance as a group of the three freshmen. Did did Patrick and everyone around Georgetown kind of expect these guys to be this productive? You know, I don't know if they did. There was definitely a, a palpable level of excitement on campus, which back in October you'd say, listen, that's the first battle with Georgetown is getting people talking about them again. I am still shocked when Mac McClung is able to produce the way he does night in and night out. There, there were so many questions. He was easily the biggest question coming in this year's can this guy who really didn't play against that that much against in high school, can he produce, can he stand up to guys in the Big East? Um, and he absolutely can. And then the other two freshmen he's got around him, James Akinjo, the point guard, has proved himself really a, a good scorer, but, but more than that, a really capable floor general with, you know, he's good at distributing. He's made lots of strides in his passing and keeping the turnovers lower, although not last night again. Um, and Josh LeBlanc, third freshman who brings, so much energy who's really he Patrick says you know he plays in my image he's tough like that uh so there were all questions about those three guys coming in and the way that they've produced has changed my outlook in that I think Georgetown fans certainly have have things to look forward to have concrete things to look forward to and of especially if Patrick can keep recruiting the way and bringing in these good classes with guys who you know maybe weren't the best but the top recruits but they gel really well together they play with a sense of pride, and, and they have clear goals in mind. Um, there's just there's a lot to be excited about if, if, if uh, I'm a Hoyas fan. All right, so Ava, I'm going to put you on the spot again after the letter grade. Is Georgetown a postseason team in your estimation right now? Um, no, probably because of the the three freshmen more than anything. Is that you you forget with the things that they're doing every night how young this team is. Uh-huh. Um, and again, they they had a great week last week where they strung together two big wins against. Seton Hall and DePaul at home, and you know, you say, you sure, okay, you're beating kind of last place, second to last place, DePaul at home. That's not really that big of a deal. But they came back on Saturday and pulled out a double overtime win against Seton Hall and played with energy and focus and determination that I'd really rarely seen from them this season. It was a good sign for me. It, It meant a lot of progress, but I don't, it's sustaining that level of focus and that level of you know, everyone being on the same page defensively that they haven't done yet, but just it's what happens with young teams. So I think that's what you need more than anything in the postseason. I think it's why people keep saying, you know, sure, Villanova's taken its its bruises this season, but you still don't want to see that team in the postseason because they know what they're doing and they've got a system. It's kind of the opposite for Georgetown, where they're just still a little bit too young and they they don't have, you know, they've, they've got one guy on their team, Trey Morning, who's been to the NCAA tournament, who sniffed it when he was a freshman. He didn't play in any of those games. So there's just not that experience yet. Maybe they just need to get the double overtime games, John. They they have two wins in double overtime, right. one against Providence and one against Seton Hall. And, you know, this league has been so tight, the, the line differentiating everybody is so thin that those double overtime games carry so much weight. Ava, as you look at the Big East this year and how even everything is, can you even make a prediction for the Big East tournament? Oh my gosh, um, not one that's that's anymore. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking the easy road out, but you hope that Marquette does something and, and goes to the final and wins the thing, only so you can you know make sense of this league at some point. <laughs> Georgetown last night with their loss dropped from third all the way to seventh with just one game. That's how tight everything is right now. Um, 
So I, I would really like to see Marquette make a deep run just because I think um, Coach Wojo has really kind of timed everything out really well. The defensive strides that that team has made have really impressed me. But, um, again, just because Villanova has been there so many times, you can never count them out. But I, I would really like to see Marquette step up and do it. So where do you feel like Ava Wallace, again, who covers the Hoyas and college basketball for the Washington Post, joining us this week at the Big East, where do you feel like Big East teams sort of fit into this national picture? Because I know you pay attention fairly closely to the ACC as well, based on your, your geographical sure. lo- location. How do you feel the, the Big East figures into it? And is the Big East basically feeding on itself? Is that really going against them at this stage? I feel like it is just from what I've been hearing. And, you know, in our area, it is a lot of Virginia. It's a lot of North Carolina. It's a lot of Duke. So it's pretty ACC heavy, but people just, when there's not something like last year with all the number one seeds in the tournament they have with, you know, a really exciting team like Xavier to back up and kind of support what Villanova's been able to do, people, I just don't get the sense that people care all that much. You know, those great rivalries, you've got to go to New York for people to really be like, yeah, Georgetown Syracuse or Georgetown St. John's, it's not like here where I covered a North Carolina Virginia game in the ACC tournament in DC and that place was absolutely packed it's just it's just a different feeling so i do feel like the i love all the headlines that are saying the cannibalization i do feel like it's it's um messing with things a little bit and i I just i just don't think long term it means the conference is in crisis or anything you know i just think it'll be back next year and two years might take a couple years but i I don't think it necessarily means anything about the health of the conference long term i I agree the uh, the youth in the league is well, really personified by the Hoyas, but there's so many good yeah. young players in the league. Uh, I want to ask you about the old man. Uh, it seems like he's been there a long time, Jesse Govan. Uh, you know, who knows how his career is going to wrap up with the Hoyas, whether it's the NCAs or the NIT or somewhere else. But uh, can you just speak to his season and his impact on those young guys? Yeah, he's he's had a lot of impact on 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 them, but I I think it's interesting that they've had just as much impact on him every before every game. You know, if you're watching the warm up, Josh LeBlanc, the freshman, goes over and gives Jesse Govan, the senior, a pep talk every single game because that's kind of the guy Jesse is, where he does need to be hyped up a little bit. But at the end of the day, if you're in those double overtime games, that's the guy you want on. I mean, Jesse's the guy you want on your team. Just the way he scores, the different ways he can get to the basket, and he's got a really nice three pointer. He does so much for this team. Um, the way his career is going to end, I, I would really, I'm rooting for a really fun. What I think would be a really fun NIT home game on campus, not in their big arena in the Wizards Arena in downtown DC. I think that would be awesome. He had a fabulous senior night that double overtime game against Seton Hall, where he just absolutely took over in the second overtime. Was great, but he means a lot for this team in that. You know, he's he's one of their more important scorers that they've had in a long time. And I think even on the defensive end, I, I believe on his senior night, he was tied with uh, Matumbo for seventh all-time in their uh, all-time record books for career rebounds. So, you know, he's a guy whose who's, his name is going to be in the record books for a while, and that really means something at Georgetown. They take a lot of pride in their history. That's the Washington Post's Ava Wallace. Who's got next? 85 down, 5 to go before the madness moves to Madison Square Garden. We'll provide all those details next, this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next, this week in the Big East. To walk these classrooms, these fields, these courts, is to walk in the footsteps of legends. Villanovans who have built a legacy of success, both in and out of the classroom. 
bound by tradition, humility, and our commitment to each other, we are stronger together. We are fearless, relentlessly pushing ourselves to victory. We believe in Nova Nation and give ourselves to it totally, even when no one is looking. We are Villanova, and each of us strengthens all of us. Who's got next this week in the Big East? Samuels, open three, right wing. He's got it, and Villanova leads. The Wildcats, 55, Marquette, 53. you got to love it, 613 to go on the road. John Rook, Kevin McNamara, this week in the Big East. Five games remaining out of the 90 on the Big East regular season schedule. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, nothing has yet been finalized in the seeding for next week's tournament at MSG. Uh, is the uncertainty good at this stage, or is it leading to the possible lack of an identity compared to other conferences, you think, before Selection Sunday? Well, as we've said, John, I think there's a big, big difference between finishing 9-9 nine and nine and 8-10, and 10, and there's quite a few games on Saturday, that's going to flip that flip those numbers for one team or another. All right, so here we go with these final five. Two go off Saturday at noon. Villanova tries to clinch another regular season title by winning at Seton Hall. Butler tries to remain relevant in the postseason discussion with a game at Providence. Butler-Providence is just a seeding for uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I think both teams... Uh, they could even rematch. They could, which is unfortunate. but And that would be three times in ten days. Right. Uh, crazy. crazy. And, you know, we haven't mentioned enough, John, that Villanova can win the regular season championship again, which would be unbelievable uh, after the four great players that they lost to the NBA. At 2.30, Georgetown fights for survival with a Marquette team that has suddenly proved mortal. Golden Eagles will try to end their three-game losing skid at home. At 5, St. John's tries to ride a listing ship a bit by playing at Xavier. The final game of the regular season tips off at 8 Eastern. DePaul plays at Creighton. Blue Jays trying to stay alive in the postseason race. Blue Demons looking for an eighth league win for the first time in 12 years. Might be two of the hottest teams going right now, DePaul and Creighton. You wouldn't want to play either one in New York. I know that. I know that. And, boy, St. John's, you know, funny team to follow. But if they can win at Xavier, they're definitely in the NCAA tournament. We had a Twitter question this week, hashtag TWITBE, from at Earl Dos Santos, who asked, which players do the Georgetown stud freshmen remind you of? Well, James Akinjo, you know, how about Khalid el from way back at UConn? Good you know, j- just a heady, uh, poised, talented scoring point guard. I think he's, he's Mac McClung. There's no comparison to Mac McClung. He is a unique, unique player. Uh, he will be the most hated player in the Big East for the next three years. And but if you're a Hoya, he's going to be. He could. He will be an all timer. How about a smaller version of JP McCura at Xavier? Ooh, I like that. I like that because JP didn't win too many uh, uh, no. welcome awards no. either. No, no, he did not. And Josh LeBlanc. How about like a poor man's Dennis Rodman? Good one. You know, really hits Gets the glass. The ball, right? Energy guy. Yeah. Energy guy. I like it. Don't forget now, if you're looking for more Big East Hoop news, you can tune in each week live with the Big East Shoot Around, available on the Big East Facebook page, at Big East on Twitter, and the Fox Sports Go app. Our thanks this week to Creighton's Greg McDermott, Big East Supervisor of Officials John Cal, and the Washington Post's college basketball writer Ava Wallace for joining us. Thanks also go out to our flagship stations at Creighton and the Fox Sports property stations at Georgetown and Villanova for the sound that takes us inside these big moments on the floor. Thanks to our producer Kevin Collins, to Matt Morrell, and to the coaches and administrators at all 10 Big East member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us that review on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter. Our final program for this season originates from Madison Square Garden and the Big East championships next week we'll talk to you then for this week in the big east 
Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools, Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Xavier, as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.